It has been very good to have the Nelsons back with us for the last couple of weeks. Be praying for them. They will be flying out here uh, this evening. And, uh, but it's been so good to have their... They came and helped with the camps and, and of course, uh, kids able to attend the camps as well. But it's been so good to see them and have them back. Proverbs chapter 14, I'm going to read first, and then I'm going to be in Hosea chapter 8. The verse we're going to read in Proverbs has, is seen in evidence to be true based upon two nations in the world, Israel and America. It has been clearest in those two nations the truth of this verse, and that is Proverbs 14.34. Righteousness exalteth a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Hosea chapter 8. I'll give the setting of what's taking place here in Hosea 8 when I get into the introduction of the message. But let me read these verses right now. Set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. He's speaking of Israel. Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. The enemy shall pursue him. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not. Of their silver and their gold have they made them idols, that they may be cut off. Thy calf, O Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocence? For from Israel was it also the workmen made it, and therefore... It is not God, but the calf of Samaria shall be broken in pieces. For they have sown the wind, they shall reap the whirlwind. It hath no stalk, the bud shall yield no meal. If so, be it yield, the strangers shall swallow it up. Israel is swallowed up, now shall they be among the Gentiles as a vessel wherein is no pleasure. For they are gone up to Assyria... A wild ass, alone by himself, Ephraim hath hired lovers. Yea, though they have hired among the nations, now will I gather them, and they shall sorrow a little for the burden of, uh, of the king of princes. princes. excuse me. Because Ephraim hath made many altars to sin, altars shall be unto him to sin. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as, as a strange thing. They sacrificed flesh for the sacrifice mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepted them not. Now will he remember their iniquity and visit their sins. They shall return to Egypt. For Israel hath forgotten his maker. And build a temple <clears throat> and build a temples, and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities. But I will send a fire upon the cities, and it shall devour the palaces thereof. Let's go ahead and pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, Lord, I certainly come before you and I ask you for your mercy and for your grace and for your blessing, Lord, upon your word being preached. Lord, help me to stay true to your word. 
Lord, help me to preach it exactly as you would have me to. Lord, I pray that it would be a help to us, that it would draw us closer to you, that it would strengthen us. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, Lord, I certainly pray for that conviction and that drawing that even this morning they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, I certainly do pray for my nation. Lord, we do see the trouble that it is in. Even the parallels as we read in your word with what happened to the nation of Israel. And Lord, we ask for your help. And Lord, I know that starts with us. So please, I pray that you would burn within our hearts a desire for you, a desire for what's right, to glorify you and to honor you. And that you would use us to be a light to this nation. Lord, even in all of the the, the sin and the wickedness that we see coming upon our nation, yet in this last year, I can still see your hand moving upon it. Lord, even with something that, uh, even though it was prayed about, I didn't know that would ever occur, the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Lord, thank you. Thank you that we can still see your hand at work in our nation. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. And Lord, we certainly need your help. And Lord, we love you. And I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Our nation is, again, 247 years old. We are one of the youngest nations on the planet Earth. We are a nation that was founded on Christian principles. In the history of the world, there has never been another nation with the except with the exception of the nation of Israel, like the United States of America. A nation that that was seeking a a religious freedom, a people seeking religious freedom from the oppressiveness that was taking place in Europe, desiring to worship God, instead of being told by their government how to worship within an Anglican or a Catholic system. They sought freedom. We saw God's blessing on this nation. I had a college course that was fascinating. It was called God in American History. What the course covered was just simply, clearly, divine, God's divine hand on the start of this nation. From those who were seeking religious freedom and how God intervened over and over and over again, seeing his hand on the beginning of this nation. Then will we come into the time of the Revolutionary War and the times that God intervened and worked to control the outcome of the battles of that war. To see this small nation of those colonies fighting off one of the greatest world powers of the day successfully. Over and over, events taking place where you could see God was in it. Because you genuinely Almost as a whole, not with everyone, that's for sure, but a people that were seeking God, wanting to worship Him in a way that was right. Here are some quotes from some of the founders of our nation. John Adams. Of course, one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence, our second president said this, the general principles on which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I I then believed and now believe that those general principles of Christianity 
are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. By the way, I believe it was John Adams. I don't have that quote here. I'm almost certain it was John Adams, the president, who had quoted this, that the way we set up our government, that it was essential, that it was a nation that followed Christian principles. Or know what he said? It would not work. Samuel Adams, another, again, a man who signed the Declaration of Independence. He said, I conceive we cannot better express ourselves than by humbly uh, supplicating the supreme ruler of the world that the confusions that are and have been among the nations may be overworld by promoting and speedily bringing in the holy and happy period when the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ may be everywhere established and the people willingly bow to the scepter of him who is the Prince of Peace. George Washington, I now make it my earnest prayer that God would most graciously be pleased to dispose us all to do justice, to love mercy, to deem ourselves with that charity, humility, and, and pacific, uh, 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 pacify, uh, excuse me, a uh, 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 passive temper of mind, which were the characteristics of the divine author of our blessed religion. George Washington would go on with several of his quotes when looking back on the Revolutionary War, and when he, you hear him say often in speeches how he saw God's providential hand. Those aren't just words to him. He was the man who witnessed it time and time again when he was in command of God directly intervening to change the course of history. He knew what was taking place was of God. If we would just get back just to think of seeing God's hand in this, of how we started we'd have so much less confusion even within our churches today. These quotes are an example of why this, this young nation was blessed and exalted. A nation that rose to prominence faster than any other when it comes to world dominance. We had God's blessing on us. But I assure you, as we turn from God just as rapidly as we rose to prominence in the world, that can be removed like that. We have a world leader right now in, in, in the, United, the President of the United States of America, who is a world leader right now, that it's humiliating at times to watch when he speaks. I had watched, it was, I think it was just last week. These aren't conservatives, they're probably even liberals, I don't even know, from another nation, from the nation of Australia. They have their own segment on like one of their morning news shows, viewed by their nation, of just watching Joe Biden try to speak. We are reaping what we have sown. This nation from its very founding was so different. But things began to change. We began to elect our leaders at all levels of government based on financial security instead of principle. We started to forget God. We started to love prosperity instead of God. We were propping up new gods without even realizing it. Gods of money, gods of pleasure. We began to see our nation turn to secularism. A nation began forgetting its maker.
And we are reaping the results. In Hosea chapter 8, the charge that is given as the chapter concludes is this, for Israel hath forgotten his maker. I mean, they had achieved what they wanted. They had a measure of success at the time that Hosea was writing, but they forgotten their creator, the one who loved them, the one who had delivered them from bondage, the one who fed them with manna, the creator himself, the one who had removed them, uh, had removed their enemies from them, the one who gave them power in their battles and victory. They had forgotten the one who truly cared for them. They were living their life as if there was no God. In order to understand what's happening in Hosea chapter 8, let me give a brief setting of what's taking place at this time. Again, even though you're going to find this amazing, this, this book was written 2,700 years ago, Hosea. 2,700 years ago. And it is just amazing how it fits what we're seeing take place right now. This prophet Hosea, he's in between Amos and Isaiah. These three prophets were the main prophets to the northern kingdom after the nation of Israel had split, the northern kingdom which still retained the name Israel. Amos was first on the scene. He was one of those strong, hard-nosed preachers. He did not mind stepping on toes at all. Hosea was very different than him. He's, he's referred to almost as the Jeremiah to the northern kingdom, the weeping prophet. Amos was considered the prophet of law, where Hosea was the prophet of love. And Amos, when you read through that book, you see the breaking of God's law, while in Hosea, you see that breaking God's heart. If you want to write this down, I do think it's interesting. If you want to read what was taking place in Israel's history when Hosea was written, you would read 2 Kings chapter 14 through chapter 20. During this time, Israel is a mess. The king who was mentioned in, 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 in starting off in the book of Hosea was actually a very capable king. Israel was fairly strong while he was in power. They even took portions of Damascus over making a part of Israel's territory. They had a decent economy under this king. However, in spite of this perceived success, there was massive decay taking place inside the nation that would lead to its downfall. Let me quote one commentator what was taking place in the, in, during the nation during this time. He said, Israel was filled with murder, bloodshed, adultery, Sexual perversion, drunkenness was widespread, accompanied by their utter indifference to God. Debauchery, lawlessness, and violence ran rampant everywhere. Does that sound like any other nation you recognize right now? There was no settled foreign policy. Actually, the foreign policy is referred to several times in chapter 8, in the, the waffling back and forth and not knowing what to do. Those in power during this time, they, they vacillated between alliances with Egypt and Assyria. One commentator called this time period in Israel's history the last lap of iniquity. In chapter 8, we have given this strong charge of what had taken place. And that was in verse 14. For Israel hath forgotten his maker. What a convicting statement. 
a statement that will remind them they are not their own. Their life is not theirs to choose. It, it was created by Almighty God. One of the most dangerous things a person can do is forget his maker. Forget that one day you will give an account for your life before the Creator God Almighty. One day you will be judged. Within chapter 8, we see the results of what happened because Israel forgot God. They forgot about their maker. Look in the first two verses. Set the trumpet, set the trumpet to thy mouth. He shall come as an eagle against the house of the Lord, because they have transgressed my covenant and trespassed against my law. Israel shall cry unto me, My God, we know thee. This is interesting, what these two verses are referring to. It's the first characteristic we have of a group of people that has forgotten God. And by the way, you can take this very much down to an individual level. As we're going to see, if we're going to change our nation, it does start with us as individuals. The first two verses, though, we learned this very quickly about this nation. They had no integrity in their religion. Israel claimed to know God, but in their works they denied him. They like to proclaim Jehovah God. No doubt, they, they, remember, they still had services going on. I mean, Jeroboam would even head to, the, head to the fake temple areas he stood up and worship. They like to claim they know God, but in their works they denied him. Their call speaks of hypocrisy. With feigned lips they would call upon God. They had lip service, but not with their life. They wanted to serve God how they wanted to serve God. They wanted to worship God how they wanted to worship God. I mean, let's not forget, this is the nation at this time that set up two golden calves. I'll refer to that more later because it's in this chapter. It's referenced. They're going to worship God how they want to. Their cry here shows how they had deceived themselves and thought everything was fine. They really thought God would be honored by their actions. They thought God was in this. It's as if they're calling upon God in, in, in the second verse there. God, why are you sending your judgment? We know you. Wait, God, we understand what's taking place. God, we know you. Why is judgment falling? Listen, we live in a dangerous day when we think we can just, as Christians, we think we can just do whatever we want and serve God however we please. It's not true. As the Bible tells us in James chapter 1 and verse 22, you can easily deceive your own heart. That's what the nation of Israel did. People like to think they have their own thing worked out between them and God. They think the only thing that matters is sincerity. It is sincerity in truth. That's what matters. They had no integrity in their religion, we see in the first two verses. Look what they did in verse number three. This is so sad. And our young people, our teenagers, I want you to listen to this. It's good for all of us, but listen to this. Israel hath cast off the thing that is good. 
the enemy shall pursue him. Wow. They have cast off that which is good. The thing that God had in place. Listen, there, there are things that God puts in our life and asks of us even to do that are good and right. It's there to help us and not hurt us. Just like Israel, America has been casting off that which is good. Turning to secularism, turning to humanism, lusting after entertainment, lusting after sex, education. Yet the thing which is good is knowing God. But America is choosing to cast that off. Young people, don't cast off that which is good. Listen, when that time comes when you're on your own, hopefully that transition has taken place where it's not just simply the God of mom and dad, but it's your God. Don't cast off that which is good. Don't listen to the voices that are telling you to cast it off and cast it off. It's what's good. It's what's to keep your heart right. When I was in my youth group, and you've, you've heard this before, but I remember we had about 25, 26 of us in the youth group. And I knew even then, none of these are staying. You just knew it wasn't real. I mean, I knew when, when they're 18 around their own, they're done. They're gone. And I look back now. Now I can look back. You know, what's it been? It's been 30 years since then. I can look back and see the direction so many of them have been hurting. Multiples, uh, overwhelming majority filled with divorce, drunkenness, hardship, trials. You want to know what happened? They cast off that which is good. They believe the lies of this world. The devil is a master at getting you to see good as evil and evil is good. He did that in the Garden of Eden. He's still doing it today. We could actually line up in a testimony time, probably family after family after family, that had made a decision at one point to cast off that which is good. And you would hear nothing of heartache, sleepless nights, difficulty, trials, troubles, not knowing where to turn. Because of casting off that which is good. Parents, make sure your children know it's God that is good. That He's what life is about. Let them see it in your example and how you live. The preeminence of God in the family. Having a strong church is good. A church that desires to honor God more than entertain its members is a good thing. We should never make the church about entertaining the goats. That is casting off that which is good. I think of Pastor Roach's testimony when he came to know, when he came to know Christ. What led to him coming to know Christ. Uh, when Norris Ward came, knocked on the door. He's there with a beer and a cigarette in the hand, long hair, all that's in place. And this preacher asked him to go to a revival service. And he shut the door. You know what he wanted? He wanted to go. He went. He goes to the revival service. He walks in there. And do you know what he said he felt? And he's, he's sitting right here and I'm telling the truth. 
out of place. He sees how different everyone looks. He knew there's something different here. He hears the preaching of the Word of God. All this would lead to his conversion. You want to know why? He saw a group of people that were being salt and light as they desired to honor God. Their concentration wasn't on, hey, let's make this as most accommodating to the lost as we should. Our concentration should be, let's make this as honoring to God as we can. That's where the emphasis needs to be. Again, teenagers, why I think of you when I come to this point, don't cast off that which is good. So often the devil want to blind you to be, blind you to see uh, uh, um, how good it is what you have. He gets you to believe it's more of a hindrance. Oh, you're viewing this so wrong. It is key to what life is about, to putting you in a place where you can honor God, where you can think right with wisdom and truth. Christian, all of us, don't get so complacent in your Christian life that without even realizing it, you start to cast off that which is good. Look what else they did in verse 4 and 5. They have set up kings, but not by me. They have made princes, and I knew it not, of their silver and their gold. Have they made them idols that they may be cut off? Thy capital, Samaria, hath cast thee off. Mine anger is kindled against them. How long will it be ere they attain to innocency? Here we see that they sought what God never ordained. They began to making key decisions without consulting God. They set up kings and, and people in positions of leadership based on what they wanted instead of seeking wisdom and direction from God. The truth is we should seek the Lord in all that we do. Being willing to submit unto Him. When you forget about God, you begin to seek things for your life that God never intended to be in your life. Remember, don't forget the summary of all this is the last verse. Israel hath forgotten its maker. As you begin to, God is not in your thoughts, you don't like to retain him, you begin to make decisions that God never intended for your life to bring things into your life that God never wanted. And there's a danger because when you start seeking these things, the danger comes when God starts allowing you to get them. In the book of Psalms, the Bible talks about how God gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their soul. Dealing with Israel in the wilderness when they were craving meat again and getting tired of manna. And it said, okay, God had had enough. So you know what? I'm going to grant the request. But the Psalms, he sent leanness unto their soul. They began seeking what God had not ordained. David sought Bathsheba and lost his kingdom. Samson sought Delilah and lost his strength. Achan sought for the garment but lost his life and the lives of his family. 
I've seen it time and time again when people begin seeking things that God has not ordained. I remember giving counsel to a man in my church in the village of Kudu Kudu. He was one of the very first men that trusted Christ, one of my very first converts in that work, I think third or fourth convert. We had met, I was, I was been praying about starting the work, I had maybe two services, and I'm on a boat ride to go on a supply run to the other island. Wouldn't you know if the guy who's sitting down next to me, and this is just a little banana boat, so we're just sitting on the bottom of this thing, is a guy from the village of Rathavis. Connected, their land connected right to where the church is, the property I got is. We got talking. And the Lord was working. It would be weeks later I would lead that man to the Lord. It was so exciting seeing him grow and coming in. I, I remember him as I was leaving for my first furlough, just weeping. Second furlough comes, and, and, and he's still there. He's growing. But all of a sudden, I noticed fairly early, something's impeding his growth. It's not the same. And, and of course, as a pastor, you know, something else has his heart. And so I talked to him about it. I said, Jonas, things seem a little different. And he's like, oh, no, I, I think everything's good. I, I mean, I, I, he tell me he's still excited, but as we talked, it came out. This might not sound like a big deal to you, but it was huge in the village. He said, you know what I'm getting ready to do? I'm trying to save up. I want to buy a car. Now, keep in mind, in the villages, on this entire island run of New Ireland, there's, there's hardly any vehicles. Just outside of the one town, Cavian, there's hardly any after that. And most of the vehicles that were in the villages were actually government-provided for transportation purposes. In other words, the government paid for them, put them in, in, in certain villages so they could have transportation to either the government outpost or up to the one town of Cavian. And he was industrious. That was one thing that was great about Jonah. He was industrious. I loved it. But it was getting used now in a wrong way. And, and I started... I was concerned immediately that he was seeking something that God had not ordained. Because I could see something else grabbing his attention and grabbing his heart. And so I cautioned him. I said, I said, listen, that is a good thing. I mean, you're industrious. I love that about you. You have to make sure God is in this. I said, if it's pulling you from God, you know right there this isn't right. He pursued it. He'd gotten, he told me, no, listen, I can help you bring people in the church. I can head into the different... And, and for a few weeks, he did just that. It took him several months before he obtained it. He got it. It was just a matter of time before I noticed him skipping services. And skipping. Missed one here. A few months later, missed another one. Another one. This is somebody who never missed. Probably within two years out altogether. When you begin to forget God, you, you can begin to seek that which God has not ordained for your life. Verse 7, I'm going to cover very quickly. This happened in Israel. For they have sown the wind, and they shall reap the whirlwind. Listen to me. You will reap much greater proportion than what you have sown. And when you, and when you have forgotten your maker, and you're seeking things you should not seek, and when all of a sudden there's hypocrisy in your religion, when it is time to reap... You are going to reap so much greater than what you have sown. <clears throat> Israel sowed folly, vanity, disobedience, selfishness, rebellion, independence from God. They reap grief, barrenness, disappointment, pain, slavery, bondage, broken homes. On and on and on. They have cast off that which is good. They have forgotten their maker. And they reap what they had sown. 
Let me move on. Verse 9. For they are gone up to Assyria, a wild ass alone by himself. Ephraim hath hired lovers. Here we learn another attribute of somebody who forgets his maker. Their flesh controls them. It says they will become as this wild ass, this wild donkey. They will not have the, the benefit of God changing them, of keeping their flesh in check. This mule that it's speaking of is a certain type known to be stubborn, obstinate, and unruly. It's the word that was used in, in Hebrew here to describe the animal it's talking about. The flesh is in control. It certainly won't be the Spirit of God as we see in Galatians chapter 5 and the necessity of us being yielded to the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, to humble ourselves and yield ourselves. The flesh begins to dominate. Verse 12. Look what happens next. This is so sad. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. Another attribute given to those who forget God. God's word is no longer special. It's counted as a strange thing. I have written to them the great things of my law, but unto them was just something strange. How sad. The very thing that should be so precious and so dear, held in their heart, was nothing to them. It was strange. They had forsaken the way of God. They were taking the way that God directed them to worship, the, 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 the following of God, instead following the example of the cultures around them. They wanted their religion to be acceptable to their flesh and to the culture they lived in, which is why the golden calves were set up. They've forgotten how great the Word of God is. Listen, don't ever forget how great and how special this book is. I brought it up here. The first Bible I was ever given. I remember like it was yesterday how excited I was when my mom handed it to me. I had my own Bible. I mean, I, we got home. It had a little box in it and cased in it. I mean, I had a Bible. I remember running upstairs, Genesis chapter 1, and starting to read it immediately. I don't want to lose how special that was. When you begin to forget God, you know what happens? This book becomes nothing to you. Strange. Yeah, we don't quite... You know, that, that Bible really doesn't apply to us today. We start to spiritualize it. To dismiss it. We come up with our own interpretations of what God really intended. You want to know why? Because it's so strange to you. Because your flesh is in control as you're trying to worship God and you're trying to make it acceptable to your flesh and to a culture. You're casting off that which is good. You see, as you forget God, you forget His book. Let's face it, in our country today, the Bible is now strange. Because we have a nation that has forgotten God. Our nation sees evil as good and good as evil. 
We see in our nation that lacks wisdom politically and economically. It has trouble, uh, great trouble dealing with the changing geopolitical spectrum of the world. Not, not, not clueless at how to respond to what's going on with threats around the world. What to do with China, Russia. How to withdraw from Afghanistan. Let's just pull out. It lacks the wisdom that is needed to govern. Why? Because this is strange unto our nation. Our politicians act upon polls instead of principle. <clears throat> Lastly, number verse, in verse 13. They sacrifice flesh for the sacrifices of mine offerings and eat it, but the Lord accepteth them not. Even though they're still serving God and offering their sacrifices, <clears throat> note the Lord says, I'm not receiving it. All that they are doing in God's name is vain. God will not receive it. You want to know why? 1 Samuel 16, 22 tells us because obedience is better than sacrifice. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Listen, understand this. The Lord desires your heart. That's where it starts. With you as an individual, that affects our church, which then affects our community, which then affects our nation. When you as an individual get a hold, get a hold of this principle that life is about God, and He has your heart, He has your passion, that you desire truly to glorify Him, not to live for a position, not to live for a certain set income, but to say, you know what, life is about God. I will allow God to direct and control. That will have effect uh, on those around you. All of a sudden at work, you know what you're going to be? Salt and light. Others will notice there's a difference. There's something different. It's amazing how it works. Those opportunities then turn into, uh, or excuse me, when that begins to take place, those turn into opportunities for you to present the gospel. For someone else to see that truth and put their faith in Christ. Listen, our love for God is shown by our obedience. We forget that. It is. I mean, I mean there, there's hardly anybody that's in a church this morning is going to say, well, I don't love God. They're going to say they love God. But too often, the God that they love is the God that they set up in their own mind. That it's not based upon obedience. And, and, and the ironic thing here is, the greatest thing we can do is be obedient to God. What, what He puts in our lives and gives us in His Word isn't to hindrance, isn't to hinder us, isn't to cause us trial or trouble. It's because He knows exactly who we are. He knows exactly where we are. He knows exactly what we need. And so He gives us the very things that will do nothing but help us. Just like parents, parents with your children, from the time they were small on up, the times they didn't understand why you gave certain rules and regulations because they couldn't comprehend it at the time, but you knew, this is for you, it's not for me. It's the same thing with God. Yet we're trying to explain away His Word today. It concludes with, here was the... Here's where it summarizes it. For Israel 
hath forgotten his maker. For our church, we need to always understand life is all about God. That first and foremost, He is our Creator, the Maker. And it's within that framework we understand the greatness of His Word and of the sacrifice of His Son. As I conclude this, let me talk to those of you who are not even certain if heaven is your home. Listen to me for about the next two minutes. I want you to understand this. According to the Bible, and it is true, Hebrews 9.27, It is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. You will die. You understand that. But you will be judged of God. That day will come when you will be judged of God. You will be standing before the Creator God Almighty. That day will occur, and He's going to judge you. When He judges you, Romans 2, as well as multiple other places, tell us that judgment will be based upon His law. And you have a problem, just like I do. Because you've broken His law. The devil's great at convincing people, you know what, yeah, but that day comes... You have your own thing worked out with God. It's okay. You and God have your own thing worked out. Listen, that's not going to take place. You're going to be judged of a holy, righteous, and listen to me, just God. When He judges you, He's simply going to show you all the times you have broken His law. There's nothing you can say. Nothing. 100% of those who are found guilty are cast into a lake of fire. Every single one. God is going to judge you. You have broken God's law. All those who are found guilty will be cast into a lake of fire. So you say, well, what does that mean, Pastor? Are we all, are we all going to hell? Unless we have a means of salvation, yes. That's exactly what that means. But God... He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's amazing what God did to save you from that judgment day. You see, he had to satisfy holiness and justice. He just can't say, well, that's all right. He is just. That's not changing. Something had to satisfy justice in order to save you. So know what he did? God became a man. 2,000 years ago, God becomes a man, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son of God on earth, the Creator Himself, He walks on this earth as a man 30-some years, and get this, He lived the perfect life. So as a man, you have for the first time in human history, somebody can go to that judgment day, and the Father could say, you're innocent. You meet the requirement. You're innocent. You did it. You fulfilled the law. It's done. Now, get this. It gets so much better. He lived the perfect life for you. In your place. Listen, when we say that Christ died for you, we, we're just clueless today what that means. We run through that with people today. They don't even know what we're even talking about. Listen, 
2 Corinthians 5.21 explains this. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The verse might sound complicated. It's not. What it's saying is this, that when Christ died for you, he was made sin for you. In other words, all of your transgressions were placed upon him as if he sinned. As if he told your lies. As if he committed all of your filthiness and, and your iniquity. And the Father judged him in your place to satisfy justice. But understand this. Jesus is God. After three days and three nights, hell did not hold him. He defeated death and rose again. You're not God. If God judges you for your sin, you're not coming out of hell. You are there. That verse also said this. He took our sin but we are made the righteousness of God in Him. So His perfect life comes to you as if you were the one who lived it, while our sin is put on Him. He died in your place. He took your judgment. Listen to me, this is so important. The devil is a master at confusing the gospel. Salvation is only in Christ. Alone. Nothing else. He has been deceiving churches and people for 2,000 years. The book of Galatians is a church that was deceived on the very gospel. They added to it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. It was as simple as a thief on the cross, repenting and placing his faith in the Savior next to him. If you repent and place your faith in Christ alone, he will save you. With heads bowed and eyes closed.